Hello, and welcome to another episode of Philosophive. I'm your host, Justin Land, and today I have with me Liz Worth. She's a tarot card reader. I would say um, she does a lot of intuitive uh, teachings, and um, she'll probably explain more what she's into. I'm very happy to have her. Hello, Liz. Hey, Justin. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks. Thanks. No, I mean, uh, so as far as introduction's sake, I got a gift from my mom to... Uh, as a, like a gift certificate to uh, for a ses- session with you, and that was about four years ago, I think. I'm not quite sure, but uh, I was yeah. I, I noticed in retrospect, yeah, it came up for me a little again. Again, I think a lot of things that I remember you said seemed uh, quite accurate um, for my development, and uh, yeah, so I was thankful for that. And I just came into my mind when I invite you on the podcast and see what you've been up to. Thank you. Yeah, cool. And cool of your mom as well to get that gift for you, right? So yeah. thank you, mom. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. She, uh, yeah, she was into this stuff, this stuff, esoteric stuff, yeah. long yeah. before I was. I mean, I was seeing her doing all, you know, reading all these books and going to sessions with mediums or something, and I would, I was very skeptical. And uh, but then, you know, you have these developments that make you open up possibilities for expression and understanding. And, uh, you know, of course, tarot and astrology both have, I think, served me as tools uh, definitely to better understand my world, you know, in a certain framework. And uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely thankful for any guidance that comes from the stars. Mm, Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's interesting that your mom was part of your introduction to that because my mom was also an introduction for me into these things. And... I grew up in a way where I didn't have skepticism towards the esoteric or towards intuition or even things that would be considered fortune telling because my mom would have psychics come to the house and she'd have these parties and the psychic would read for the group and um, she would record them on a cassette. And then when I was a kid, she would let me listen to these recordings. So I grew up kind of thinking that this was just something that people did, right? That it was normal to have a job where you give readings for other people and tell them things about their life. And my mom had also lived in a house that she always claimed was very haunted before I was born. Uh, her and my dad had owned a home. And, uh, and she always saw a lot of spirits there. And my dad did not. But my mom held on to these stories her whole life. They never changed. They were always consistent. And she would, I was fascinated by her ghost stories. And she didn't have stories from other places, right? It was only this one house that she claimed had all this spirit activity, which to me, I think made it even more believable because it wasn't like my mom was just seeing stuff all over the place. You know, it was a very specific experience that she had. And so it it made the story feel very reliable. And I say that not to sound skeptical, but I think that skepticism is healthy when we engage in intuitive practices or anything esoteric, anything spiritual, you need to stay grounded to some extent. And so, um, so I, you know, I always, I always just preface that with, you know, whenever we start to talk about tarot or astrology or anything else is that it's okay to not be totally sure what you believe and it's okay to be a little bit hesitant and, 
you know, growing up the way I did, I wasn't discouraged from exploring these practices, but I also had a lot of leeway to kind of figure it out on my own as well. And that was how I started to come into tarot and astrology and spirituality in my own way. But I also think it's, it's okay to sometimes say, what you know what is up with this is it real what can i get from it and and how far should i take it absolutely and uh when did you actually start uh tarot readings i mean you were as a kid you were, were you practicing with friends and such uh, reading astrology yeah i mean astrology is you know i think i think astrology is always there for everyone it's it's such a part of our mainstream culture true uh you know it's it's I remember I always was interested in my horoscope as a kid and in grocery stores, you know, if I went shopping with my parents, we'd be in the checkout line. And, and I don't, I don't think they have these anymore because everything's online now. But when I was a kid, they used to put out these little, little tiny magazines every month that would give you, you know, your horoscope for the month ahead. And it would have all the signs in there and talk about all the important astrological transits that were coming up. And my parents would let me buy those and read them. And even though some of the stuff was a little bit over my head and not relevant to my childhood life, you know, there are a lot of, you know, kind of sexy predictions in there sometimes, right? Lots of, you know, love and good luck numbers and, and everything. But, um, but I, I think that, that experience is common for a lot of people because we all grow up knowing our sun signs at least, right? So astrology is always there. It's just part of, part of the language of the culture and whether you believe in it or not, or whether you decide to study it or not is up to you. But we all know a little bit about astrology, whether we want to admit that or not. Um, And when it comes to tarot, that was, you know, that was a big, entry point for me was was actually through through those little books at the grocery store when I was 13 there was one uh on fortune telling it was called the little book of fortune telling my mom let me buy it just like in the grocery store in a grocery store yeah Yeah, at the at the checkout counter where they have the impulse items like the chocolate bars and the gum and the magazines there was uh there were all these yeah always these little books and they had different topics every month and sometimes they were they were very esoteric sometimes there would be some about uh learning how to do past life regression i remember there was one about palmistry they would sometimes have books that just told stories so ghost stories um folklore and they i'm sure they had other topics as well they weren't all esoteric but i remember the esoteric ones because that's what i was interested in and there was one called the little book of fortune telling and it was exactly what it sounded like. It had a different chapter uh, for different types of practices. So there was a chapter about runes, there's a chapter about palm reading, a chapter about astrology, and there was a chapter about reading playing cards, just regular bicycle playing cards. And I was 13 at the time, and I remember I got that, I think at the start of the summer, and I spent that whole summer, all my every day of my summer vacation, studying that chapter on playing cards and working with this pack of bicycle cards to figure out how to be a cardomancer and I was really interested in that and I thought it was really cool that you could learn things about your life with something so accessible and something that is in everyone's home and so that was my entry point into card reading. Uh, I got interested in tarot a few, few years later 
when I was in high school, but tarot is totally different. It's, you know, it's very complicated. Um, it's a diff it's different from learning playing cards in that there's also more cards in a tarot deck, right? We have 52 cards in our, our a playing deck, but we have 78 in a tarot deck. So you're working with more images, you're working with more types of messages, and tarot is also often a lot more detailed. Most tarot decks have their own set of artwork, and even though they may have similar archetypes and energies that cross over deck after deck, tarot really requires a lot of patience. And because I had kind of grown up in a way where, you know, my mom liked getting readings, but she liked them for entertainment value, right? She wasn't really getting them to, uh, to explore her own psychology or to better herself, which is, I think, a big reason as to why a lot of other people do get readings. You know, my mom was really interested in predictions. She wanted the sexiness of it, the Hollywood version of mm -hmm. that experience. So I didn't have a deeper context for what tarot could or could not do. And when I got a tarot deck as a teenager, I was really impatient with it. And I pulled out the cards and I expected something to happen. Like mm -hmm. I thought these cards were going to give me some kind of psychic vision, which they did not. And <laughs> so for anyone listening out there who's, uh, who's maybe thinking that they're failing and in learning tarot, it's, it's really common to be frustrated by it at first and, mm -hmm. and to not feel anything or have any kind of wow factor because it just takes time to learn it. And I wasn't, I wasn't committed enough at the time and I didn't really have the, the understanding that I needed to read tarot adequately. Sorry, I just have respect to make, it. Sorry, you just put up your ring. Is that a Capricorn sign? Oh no, it's a little, it's a little fox head. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. Matter, like an, okay, very nice. Yeah. I decided to jump in there. <laughs> okay. you know, as, you, as you were talking, really, really interesting because I th we come from, I think, you were, I mean, I'm, I think I'm a bit older than you are. I'm actually 41, but you, you, when you're 13, that was pre-internet, correct? Or, yeah, it was in the 90s. So mm -hmm. like, the question is, how does the universe communicate to you? Well, it does it in the w easiest way possible, which is, you know, infinite intelligence expressing itself through a grocery store. You know, which sounds like ridiculous, but why not? You know, that caught your attention, sparked the fire. You know, and it's like a, like, that's not, it, it, the funny thing about the car one that, when, as you're talking, I, I actually saw a podcast uh, last week with uh, David Blaine, uh, the magician. And interesting, very similar experience, you know, but he had a fascination with just freaking cards, very young, extremely young. And then, uh, you know, it was like, but it's so much synchronicity in there, you know, it's like it, it, the right time, I mean, and then to get to the level where he's at now, he had to, he had to start early. And it sounds like to me, like you, you, you really started quite early in your life uh, with, with this type of stuff. And it's not something that one goes to a university for necessarily. And, you know, learns it uh, through, you know, courses with like, you know, Hogwarts, which would be kind of cool, but, you know, uh, but I'm positive that, um, you know, the, for me, I, just as from a very layman's perspective of tarot, I find that it, it trains my intuition a bit, just letting it flow and trying to figure out my own interpretations. Um, but I can see the definitely the use in having somebody who's, uh, laying the cards for me and kind of guiding. How, how does that process work exactly? Um, I mean, uh, are you looking for feedback from the person that you're actually reading for as, as what that could mean for that person? Or, or are you trying to come out from, you know, more of a, you know, non-attached to perspective? Mm -hmm. I don't know if mm -hmm. I... Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good question. So there are different ways of reading tarot and some people will do what, what are considered cold readings where you don't really know anything about the person, you're not engaged in a conversation with them, they're not really giving you anything to go on in terms of maybe even a question. And what, you know, that, that can work for tarot and there are different ways to read tarot and if you're doing something like a cold reading, then you might use a tarot spread, right? Where every position of the cards that you lay out has some kind of meaning. So that card will, will be speaking to a specific area of that person's life or represent maybe something from their past, something from their present, something from their future. And those positional readings really evolved in that way to help with cold readings. And and I think that tarot can work really well in that way. And it's how a lot of people learn how to read tarot is by working with spreads at first. Personally, I, I kind of, I've, I've done, I've done it all in tarot. Uh, I, I prefer to have a conversation with people when I'm reading for them, because to me, the purpose of, of me reading tarot is not for me to feel like, wow, I'm really good at tarot look at all the things I can figure out about you without you telling me. To me, that, you know, that's a little bit, I, I, don't, I don't mean this to sound critical of people who, who prefer doing cold readings, but my ego doesn't need that kind of gratification. Mm. And I think we need to be careful when we, we engage with tarot, especially as consumers, if we're going for a reading, not to come at it in a way that may feed a reader's ego and make them feel like they got more out of it than you did, because mm -hmm. look, at all the, look at all the things they got right. Mm -hmm. I know it can feel exciting to do tarot that way. Um, and, and I think for people who are skeptical, that's sometimes what they're looking for with tarot, is they mm -hmm. wanna see the accuracy so that they can believe in it but it's not my job to make someone believe in something right. and and i don't think it's any reader's job to really convince anyone of that you can mm -hmm. show up for tarot and you can have a conversation with a tarot reader and that can actually make for a deeper reading when they have a bit of context for your life because they might see something in the cards that could be much more relevant to you that they may not be able to see without that context. Mm -hmm. And they might actually be able also to, to help you ask better questions in a reading if they understand where you're coming from. And so that's why I like to know, you know, what's important to you when you're coming for a reading? What is it that you're working towards right now in terms of maybe a personal goal or in terms of something in your career? And how do you define some of the things that you're asking about, right? I have a lot of people who will come and they'll say, I, I need to know about a family conflict, or I need to know if I'll be successful. I'll need to know if my plan will work out. Okay, well, what do those things mean? Those, those are all very vague ideas. And sometimes the terms that we use, we might think we're being very clear and specific, but we have mm -hmm. to realize that some words like family, success, even love or relationship, those are actually very broad terms. And when we start to talk about what is a family conflict for you, you can realize there could be many things. That could mean a divorce. It could mean a fight you're having with your kid. It could mean uh, an estrangement that you have with a parent. What are you talking about? 
right? When you talk about success, what is that? Are you looking for fulfillment? Are you looking for money? Are you looking for a promotion? Are you looking to be famous? What does success mean for you? So I think, you know, allowing for some kind of conversation between a reader and a querent is important because another thing that readers I don't think should do is assume that we know what someone is talking about and assume that we know what's important for the person that we're reading for. Um, that to me can cross a bit of a boundary, right? Mm. If I start to think I know exactly what you're talking about, I may not. And then the reading for you might not feel like it's very helpful or very relevant because I'm coming from one assumption when, you know, thinking you're talking about something, when you're talking about something completely different, you know, we need to be on the same page. So I like to, I, I prefer, I prefer not to go into a cold reading, uh, but it depends on the situation, right? Sometimes when you're reading at a, you know, at event, an event or something, you have 10 minutes per person and it's fast. You're not going to go that deep. But I also think the expectation is that, you know, we, how much can you do in 10 minutes anyway, right? So I also think we need to be mindful of the situation when we're entering into these practices of what's possible. If we're talking for an hour, you know, you can cover a lot of territory in an hour, right? A reading for five minutes is going to be different, so. No, it's, uh, mm -hmm. I think that, like, the intentions that one goes into as well, the person who's being, you're reading for, um, what do you call it? what do you call that is that person uh the red <laughs> how would you I, the querent the querent, querent, is, the querent yeah. is, so like the querent comes in obviously maybe they're coming to tarot to solve an you know some sort of crisis and mm -hmm. they're, they're coming with a lot of baggage and i'm sure when they see the the tower and they see mm -hmm. death they're going to automatically interpret that as a negative. And I don't know, I'm guessing you're maybe trying to steer them away from going so extreme with that interpretation. Cause you know, it's that, that that's obviously not what that exactly means. Death doesn't mean death in, in all, you know, physical terms necessarily for Intero and the tower is also, you know, just things changing, I would say, right. It's also the, uh, how how do you how does that go about? I mean, does it get into a kind of a, you know energetic uh, blockages that come up also that the you, you really see that the person is not um, really gelling with the message? Oh yeah, <laughs> that can happen. You know, um, when people come for tarot. You're right, they, they can have a lot of baggage. And a, a challenge when you read professionally is that you don't always know who's coming to sit down with you when you have a new client. And there is a relationship involved and, and people might not always think about tarot that way, right? They might think, you know, I'll get a reading and it'll be a thing that I do once in a lifetime and I'll cross it off the bucket list. Mm -hmm. But for, for readers, you know, people who, who use tarot in their lives on an ongoing basis, tend to develop relationships with people that they work with because it's hard to find a, a reader that 
you feel really gets you. And, mm-hmm. and, and because there are so many different styles of tarot reading and, and, and other types of intuitive and psychic readings as well, is that someone might be a really amazing reader, but they're not going to vibe with every single person. So mm-hmm. when you find that one that you, you like working with, then you tend to come back. And so a lot of readers, you know, we have our, our roster of regular clients. And then we also have space for new clients. And the new clients, it, it, you know, it's, it is, it's like getting to know a person, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes people do bring a lot to a session and you don't know what they're going to ask. You don't know what they're going through and you don't know what their understanding of tarot is either. Mm-hmm. So if somebody has never had a reading before, I tend to preface the reading, especially if they're asking questions that are sensitive or questions that perhaps are coming from places of, of big fears, big fears around things ending, big fears around catastrophe or uncertainty. I remind people that tarot's images originated from medieval Europe. And so we look at tarot cards and some of the images are very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And we see symbols on there that are violent, right? We see things like swords. We see fires, we see dead people, we see injured people, right? So we see a lot of things that are not always comfortable, Mm -hmm. but then we also see very beautiful images and things that can look very positive and exciting and reassuring. But when you shuffle up 78 cards and you pull them at random, you don't know what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. And just because you get cards that look dramatic doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to be terrible but there's some kind of message within that card that's important for you for some reason. And that's where a good tarot reader comes in handy is because they're the mediator, right? Between Mm -hmm. the cards and you and helping to translate those images and making them relevant to the question. So a big mistake that people make with tarot when they're learning and also if they're, they're just going for readings as a client is they forget what they've asked. They forget what the purpose of the reading is. And that's where some of the fear can come in to a reading is if you suddenly see an image that looks very striking and looks very dramatic and doesn't look very comfortable. Well, if you're asking about quitting a job and you're seeing a card like the death card, death is a card of endings. So that would actually be very affirming. You're talking about ending something, you see a card of endings, it, that's all it can mean. But sometimes people start to worry, does it mean I'm going to die? Is something going to happen to my parents? You know, I'm worried about my health. Is everything going down the tubes, right? We have to remember tarot is contextual. So if you haven't asked about those things, the cards are not talking about anything that you haven't brought to the table. Mm-hmm. We also have to be mindful of our own beliefs, right? Um, if someone has a very fatalistic perspective on life and believes that everything is already written in stone, that there is no, no changing or shaping the future, they will have a very different mindset that they bring to a reading than someone who is there to learn how can they control the outcome of a plan? How can they change or improve their life? So I think individually, whether we're the ones reading the cards or having our cards read for us, we need to be mindful of what kinds of beliefs are we bringing into a reading and what are we assuming. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that everything is already laid out. 
but because I read tarot and I work with astrology, people sometimes assume that all I do is predict the future. But what I do more so is try to help people see what are their options so that they can direct the kind of future that they want. And every day of my life, I'm, I'm trying to direct my future as well. You know, I have certain goals and intentions. I'm choosing what those are. You know, nothing is dictating to me what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. No, absolutely. That's, uh, I'm curious, the, the, what's the classic deck called in tarot? Um, what, what, what version of the deck? Because they obviously have many, many modern and ones are not so violent, I would say, uh, more feminine expressions of, uh, of these ideas as well. Uh, mm-hmm. it, do you use the, the main deck? I forget what the name of it's called. Yeah, so, so the Rider-Waite-Smith deck exactly. is, is one of the most popular tarot decks in the world. It's the classic. It's the standard that, that most modern decks are based off of now. Mm-hmm. And then if we go outside of the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, there's also Marseille Tarot. Uh, so, and, and those decks tend to be more popular in Europe. Um, but here in North America, where I work from, uh, some people also use Marseille decks. I, I like them. Uh, it's just a different style of reading. It's, it's less detailed in terms of the pictures that you get on the decks. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's much more rooted in the decks that you would have seen in medieval times. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a a bit of, again, a different different style of reading, uh, mm-hmm. different ways to work with the cards, but those are, those are really the, the two, the two classes. What do you work with most? I mean, I mean, I'm guessing you probably have like eight different or more decks uh, at your disposal. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not a deck collector, okay. uh, but I have, I have some different decks. I teach on the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. So if you ever take a tarot class with me, that's the deck that I would have okay. you learn on. And the reason for that is because that's the deck that so many modern tarot decks are based off of. So if you learn that deck, it gives you fluency in a lot of other decks. And also the, the imagery on that deck is really great for reading. It's great for reading because it has a lot of people on it and it's very active. So there, what I mean by that is there's a lot of body language in those cards. And when we see body language, we can start to see what types of actions would those pictures relate to so what's in the our deck day-to-day lives. Uh, the Rider Waite Smith. The, the, the original, the positions of the actual people is very relevant, you're saying, and other yes. decks and maybe don't express that as well. That's a very good point. No. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes, you know, there are some beautiful decks out there, but some of them use very abstract images. Some of them don't feature any people at all. And so that would lead to a different style of reading perhaps uh it may it may rely more on uh, on prompting your intuition and prompting your answers in a different way so i like the rider waite smith because i think it's a great deck to learn on and i think that if you're learning tarot that's a a good one to start with when i read for clients i i there's a deck called the cosmic tarot that i really like Mm -hmm. uh it's Similar to the Rider Waite Smith, but it does deviate a little bit. Uh, but it has some really interesting images mm-hmm. on it, so I like that one. And um, there's another one called the Charmin Caselli that I used for a really, really long time in my tarot practice with clients, and uh, I still use it now. And it's also really clear in terms of that body language. So that's really what I look for: is I like decks that feature people. Mm-hmm. And then I can really see how are those cards coming to life for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, awesome. And uh, actually the, the other aspect of the astrology, which um, I mean, 
I mean, I mean, then you're using obviously more charts and uh, dates, positions, and um, but what, like, what take me through? Like, uh, like, uh, I mean, I, I think you kind of combine both of them, right? The, if you're doing a reading, a little bit of astrology, maybe tarot, mm -hmm. and um, I think it, with our session, we did the astrology, and then you you pulled a, a card for me, and I think uh, mm -hmm. I can't remember which one it was, but mm -hmm. you know, I really like that that aspect. It's funny because astrology, uh, when I was really into that, that stage, I had, um, had to give a presentation very in front of a big crowd about my, well, my business ventures and how I, I kind of mm -hmm. failed at some. It was called, it's called Fuck Up Nights. It's a concept that maybe is also in Canada or in the U.S. where they have these, you know, entrepreneurs that, that talk about their, not necessarily their successes uh, in front of a stage. So it was like, you know, several hundred people. Wow. And I, I, I wanted to do it differently. So I was going to, I was going to do it and like using astrology to explain what happened with me and, uh, and that it didn't resonate so well with the people because I, then I realized it was funny because I was at a stage where like, this seems so obvious to me that astrology has some sort of, you know, like you're saying, everybody kind of, um, kind of feels like something's going on there, but there's a lot of resistance when you actually, uh, you know, even playfully kind of say, you know, well, I'm, you know, I'm a typical Aquarian, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I, I like, they like to try stuff out and you can see that with my different businesses and, you know, you know, it has its positives, but you can also say it has its negatives and, uh, but that didn't resonate so well. Uh, and, uh, but I, I, I really f feel like, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, maybe there's also fear that people do have. They're like, they want to make life, you know, material, they want to make life, not so much about beliefs, although I believe everything is about beliefs. It's all about perception, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you can confirm that in your own life. So I don't, if, if people are not getting that, they're just not seeing it and it's okay. But uh, I think more and more people are seeing it at this time. And it's, and that's why I think things like tarot, astrology are very good entryways into seeing reality behind the veil a little bit more, like how to communicate with guides and i mean do you, do you believe in guides as well that they're uh, they're always you don't know who they are maybe but there is some sort of guidance going on yeah i i, I believe in in guides it's it's another concept that i'm a little bit careful with though because mm -hmm. I, I think that though that you know that kind of practice really again needs a lot of groundedness to it right um there's always you know there's there can be a tendency for people to get deep into spiritual concepts and actually escape reality mm. and start to say, oh, my guide is telling me not to do this today, so I'm not going to go to work. I'm not going to do this. And I know that's an extreme example, mm. but it does happen from time to time. And so we always have to be careful about, you know, me, we talk about me engaging with a guide or be or feeling guided by something else is when do we let that take over, mm. right? And when do we still maintain our own you know, our own logic and our own rationality as well. It can't be all just one or the other, just as, as life can't just be about rationality and facts and science. Mm -hmm. We need both, right? We need spirituality and science. Mm -hmm. They do different things for us, but they also help us be holistic if we make space for all of these things, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, with, with astrology, yeah, it's always there and there can be resistance to it. And I think there are different reasons for that resistance. You know, one is that I just think people don't understand it. 
And we forget sometimes that we are part of a bigger universe. It's not just, it's not just us living in our neighborhoods and or in the cities that we're in, right? It's not just us even living on this planet. It's that this planet is part of the universe and we are in motion with other bodies in that universe. There's a gravitational force that drives us, right? And there are things in our universe, like the sun and the moon, that actually help us to create and sustain the life that we have here. So everything around us is in constant dialogue and relationship with our solar system. And just as something that can happen within the ecosystem here on Earth, like a, a, you know, a species of animal going extinct or a type of tree maybe that gets diseased, a forest being cut down, those things will affect our ecosystem and they will have some kind of impact on our day-to-day -day lives. It may be subtle, depending on where you're living or how you're living, but it will impact something here. Mm. And when we start to look at astrology, we see that same kind of effect. The planets are all moving around. We are in this dance together, right? We're going through cycles, everything's in orbit. Those planets have some kind of impact here as well, right? That's part of the, you know, that's part of the belief in astrology is that we're all connected. So we can look at those planets as symbols, we can look at them as guides and look at what each of them represents. And we can say, okay, well, what is Mars doing right now? What does Mars symbolize? And where do we see that martial energy here on Earth? Or how do I want to use that in my life? And I think that that can be a concept that sometimes feels a little bit, a little bit removed for some people to get behind because I, and a question that I, I hear a lot from skeptics in astrology is, is you know, how, how can something so far away from me have any meaning in my life? But again, I just think, you know, if everything is connected and everything is energy and everything has some kind of butterfly effect, then why not? Quantum. Right? Yeah. Scientists yeah. even say it's quantum and they don't, they can't, uh, a laboratory in Japan, you do something and there's something happening in a laboratory in, in, in London. Same, they're, they're, right. they're getting close and close to, you know, these understandings of, in a scientific way that other people can under incorporate. Other people have already kind of known by intuitive ways, and uh, that, that now it's it's becoming more, I guess, grounded in uh, normal everyday, you know, understandings. And and there's a, you know, that's going to mean something different for understandings of how the and, and scientifically even magnetically these energies affect us the moon the the sun you know obviously different people but we can even you know the moon moving the water you know it's so much also symbolism there that's so like okay some people say you're putting the symbolism on top of everything but then you see like repetition over and over again synchronicity in our everyday life you know we have some synchronicity going on here i, I actually have a left on my finger ah. also an animal and you on your left uh, finger is a yeah. fox mine's a, a lion it was given to me actually by my daughter uh, just a couple months ago she found it from the school you know a silver lion i was like oh cool uh, for That's my birthday fun. and uh you know that that so i see that you know uh it's a playground of sorts there is a flexibility here and there's certain things that absolutely they're so anchored into our realm of existence like gravity and, and such that that there's no 
you know, it's just not, we don't have to really think about, you know, what it would be without it or, you know, you know, there's no desire to fly, you know, for me, but other things are, other possibilities open up and one allows, I think, more the universe to speak to one's in whatever filter that's possible because we're talking, for me, it's, it's, it's the formless expressing through form. So the formless cannot be contained, right? So it has to always be kind of symbolically expressed in words or like that and concepts, ideas. They're always like a bit incomplete out of necessity, I think. And that's where the polarity comes from. That's where the discretion of the interpreters and, and, the, and, the, and for, if you're doing a, a reading for somebody, the, the person who goes into it, obviously with the intention of really something positive and no matter what to see, you know, something that really will help them. I think they'll get that no matter even what, what you lay on the table for other people would be like shocking. Like, Oh, you know, <laughs> it's like they will still see something positive. And in the negative, if you can, but you can have the lovers, the world, I don't know, all these beautiful cards later from somebody's mm -hmm. negative. Right. And they're like, it's horrible, you know? And, uh, so it's, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, I think, uh, and I think for you, you're, you're actually offering, you teach to people and uh, it's like, is it a online course or how, how do you do this? Yeah, I have, I have a lot of online courses that I teach mm -hmm. different levels. So uh, if you're a total beginner, then I have, I have a lot of beginner options, but I also have some intermediate to advanced options as well for people who have knowledge of tarot, but they want to go deeper or they want to improve certain aspects of that. And then I also have a private mentorship program uh, where people can work with me one-on-one -on -one for a year. Wow. And uh, I only take on a few people a year for that, obviously, because mm -hmm. it's, it's time, time intensive and, and people get a lot of me uh, through that process. So I only take on a small number of people uh, to, to do the mentorship program. But that's also an option if you, you know, if you like the one-on-one. -on -one. And that, again, is, is open to various levels. So, you know, this year I have uh, some people who are really new to tarot, very, very beginner stage. And then I have other people who've been studying tarot for four or five years already. And they have, you know, by that point, they're clear on what they want to do with it, what their goals are, and also the areas that they still need to improve upon. So, uh, so you know, it can be very customized just based off of where you want to go with it and, uh, and, and what you want to use tarot for, because there are different ways that we can use tarot. Some people only want to use tarot for themselves, right? They, you know, as a hobby, uh, as a spiritual practice, as a personal practice, which is great. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't always have to mean you have to read for other people. Mm -hmm. Some people come into tarot and they know before they've ever read a card that they want to help other people with tarot in some way. And that's fine too. So, you know, there's no pressure, right? I think sometimes people learn tarot and they assume they have to become tarot readers or they have to do it for their friends or their family or something and you don't. You know, it can just be for you too. And it can be a great practice just for yourself. Absolutely. No. And mm -hmm. uh, you also have a podcast, I noticed. Uh, what is it called? Uh, yeah, I do. It's called Life's What You Make It. Mm -hmm. And um it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm working on some new episodes. Uh, I have to put a new, a new season up there, but uh, I'm, I'm finishing a book right now. So, nice. but, you know, when you're, you're writing, it's like writing kind of takes What's the name of the book life. or do you have a name yet? 
Yeah, it's it's a novel. It's called His Name Is Matter. It's a, oh. it's a vampire novel. Yeah. Nice. So Rice, yeah. Like Anne Rice or what kind of vampire are we talking it's, about? It's it's a little it's a little different from Anne Rice. Yeah. Uh, definitely not as erotic. Twilight. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that was also uh, I, I, funny enough. I the Twilight series. I, for some reason, uh, I did read parts of that and uh, and saw some of the movies or something. There's, but as a guy, I wanted to see more action, like, you know, like really fighting and stuff. And it turned into oh, like okay. this, this weird dynamic of uh, two people who can't have sex because he would kill her. You know, and I was like, okay, come on, guys. This is just like dragging off all the teenies. I don't know who this is really for, but, you know, it's like I wanted the fight. And they get the fight scene, I think if I'm going off topic here, but. That was so disappointing at the end, if you remember. Did you, did you read the Twilights or you watched? You know what? I, I tried. I tried to read it because it was such a big deal, and yes. I really do. I really do like horror and and especially mm -hmm. vampires. I've always been been into vampires, but I was really big into goth culture when I was a teenager. So that tells mm -hmm. you something. But uh, I I couldn't read Twilight. I just I just I couldn't. I think I got forty pages in and. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. And then a friend of mine was really into the movie. Like she mm. loved it. And she invited me over and we started to watch it. And I also just couldn't, I, I don't know. I don't remember a thing about it. Yes. It just, I don't know. I, I'm not sure, but I don't, I don't think it was my kind of vampire. Like I mm. like, mm. the best, my opinion, my opinion, the best vampire book is called Lost Souls by Poppy Z. Bright. Oh, wow came out in the 90s. I read it usually once or once a year still. Uh, I love it. I just think it's, that's my kind of vampire book. It's, um, it's a little bit punk rock. It's mm -hmm. uh, not, no one's trying to be pretty in it. And I really like that. And that's more my style of things anyway, you know, in, in when I, outside of my tarot work, the writing that I do is always a little bit ugly and it's a little bit gritty. And uh, I've always been really attracted to writers that do really conceptual and experimental and uh, work and that push the boundaries a little bit, right? So, you know, very influenced by William S. Burroughs, C.A. Conrad, uh, people like Poppy Z. Bright as well. So, yeah, I, you know, the, the Twilight thing, I couldn't really get behind, but I don't think I'm the audience for Twilight. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe the thirteen-year-old version of you would have enjoyed it more. Uh, yeah, that's. I, I think that uh, vampires are also yeah. As far as the horror goes, I mean, they're the only ones I kind of gel with the zombie stuff. Uh, it's just like I don't really get the deeper meaning behind that. There is no deeper meaning, but like the vampire, there's some sort of thing going on there about immortality and good and bad. Like, I mean, zombies are you know, it's not good or bad. It's just like. It, Thing has no conscience you know but these these vampires they have some sort of like this ultimate power and they they choose to you know the greatest desire is to for some reason it's human blood right you know and it's uh mm -hmm. but i find it to be you know for mythology and, and everything very interesting uh you know concept uh, and there's also nowadays they're talking about you know energy vampires and you know like we literally have people who are supposedly kind of uh, acting like vampires in our society. So that's, there maybe are there real vampires, I don't know. Yeah, there's a, a really amazing book called, I think it's called Vampires in America. It's by Catherine Ramsland, who was the, the biographer for Anne Rice. And it came out in the 90s, I think, late 90s. 
And uh, it was an, an amazing, amazing journalistic investigation into people who believe that they're vampires. And she went off and interviewed people throughout the US about their belief in vampires. And, and one of the things they talked about was psychic vampires as well. And, and that's, that's a concept that I find interesting. And it's one that I think sometimes, perhaps not in an obvious way, but can cross over into this idea that people have about being an empath. And that um, you know they're 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 absorbing people's energy, and that they have to be careful about who they interact with because they may meet people who perhaps vampirize their energy or their time. And and it's it's an idea that I, I find you know I see it out there. It's it's it seems to be quite common these days. I've noticed it really rise in popularity in the last couple of years. This this term of being an empath, but it's another one that I think we need to be a bit balanced with too. Right. Um, I do believe that people can be draining 100%. Who hasn't been drained by someone who's just so much, right? Or someone who doesn't really seem to understand your boundaries or someone that you don't understand at all, right? We all have those people, you know, where we just meet someone and we feel like we're, we're maybe speaking different languages mm. to each other. And, and they, they ask you all the most inappropriate questions and you don't understand why they would say those things, but that person might not, you know, maybe they're like that with everyone and other people don't mind. No. You know, who knows, right? We just don't all gel. And I think yeah. sometimes we need to be careful that we're not walking around thinking I'm so sensitive or I'm so open that everyone mm -hmm. is just draining me all the time. Mm -hmm. It's not always a, a, a helpful thing to identify with so deeply that you feel like, you know, you, you have to, you have to have your guard up with every single person right. you meet or every relationship you engage in. Right. Mm -hmm. So we also need, I think, to be, you know, to decide to have some resolve and some strength within ourselves too, and, and say, you know, I'm not going to let people drain me. If someone is crossing my boundaries, I will just tell them that I don't, I don't want to answer that question or that I can't help them with that. And that's all it needs to be sometimes. Right. Absolutely. So you have to be careful with that. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a, that's a, yeah, I haven't talked in the podcast yet about vampires, but I think it's <laughs> definitely a, a very cool topic. And uh, yeah, how do people uh, find you, your, your website? Yeah. And yeah, so I'm at lizworth.com, really easy. And uh, I'm also on Instagram, it's Lizworth Tarot as uh, my Instagram handle, so they can find me there as well. Yeah, I love those Insta uh, the, some of the tarot stuff, like the where you can like... Um, the random generators and you click on it on Instagram and sometimes Facebook. Oh, those you like those? Yeah. yeah. I like those. Sometimes. Today I got the dragon. So I don't know what deck that was, but you know, it seemed like, okay, cool. Makes yeah. lazy people. <laughs> <laughs> well, Liz, I'm very, very thankful that you could make time today and um, I wish you a wonderful day over uh, where exactly are you again? I'm in Toronto. Toronto. Big city. Yeah. Toronto. Nice. No, yeah. And, uh, we're, 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 I'm in Leipzig. It's actually it was three degree, uh, thirty-two degrees Celsius today, so very hot. I don't know what is there, but yeah. it's going to be warm here today. Yeah, it's okay. going to be around thirty here as well. Oh wow! Okay, so you're also yeah, not very... yeah. In Toronto, it gets it gets pretty warm, but we're going to get cold soon. Yeah, yeah. and then then it gets really cold. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, have a great day. <laughs> Thank you. You too. I really appreciate it.